Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, it's Wednesday the 5th of July. I'm Miranda Sawyer and Coots won't accept my overdraft. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review, where we steam through a pile of papers like Wimbledon punters necking strawberries and cream. We pick out the point scoring and the cross-court battles, and of course, we give you the winners in the daily sporting life that is the UK press. Listeners are giving us lovely reviews. Here's one from Miss Proud. She says, don't listen while putting on your mascara because it will make you laugh and you will end up looking like Alice Cooper, which explains our guest appearances today. Well, hey. Way. Remember, we're out mid-morning every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So subscribe on your favourite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. You're all a load of bankers. Farage still annoyed that no bank wants his money. Mail nails Bernard Jenkin at last. Met to investigate two more Tory party gatherings during lockdown. And Captain Tom's daughter's not doing what she ought to. She's decided his charity needs a spa and pool complex (laughs) and has been told to take it down. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we never outline our five key pledges and so we never fail to deliver. I'm Miranda Sawyer and a big shout out to all our friends in journalism who've told us off for saying we read the papers so you don't have to. We want everyone to read the papers, really, to keep us and our pals in jobs, to be honest. Now, joining me to look sideways at his deadline while scrounging biscuits and tea, it's new statesman columnist John Elledge. Hello, John. Hello. I'm very worried about my dog's conjunctivitis today. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And fresh from a plethora of stand-up gigs and our sister podcast, Oh God, What Now?, it's comedian Matt Green. Hello, Matt. Hello. How are you doing? I'm all right. So, although I'm mildly worried about your dog now. (laughs) (laughs) Genuinely, it's all I can think about. (laughs) Oh, no. But what have we got on the headlines front? So the mail has gone with Boris's Partygate accuser faces his own police probe and they're rubbing their fires furiously about that one. Uh, <laughs> the Guardian gets its kicks in a very different way. It's gone for UK ready to drop £11.6 billion pledge for climate fund. My personal favourite, though, is, as ever, the Daily Star, which has, I shall say this only once, Alolo caused Brexit. Ah, it's an interesting take. Okay, uh, Matt, what do you have? Well, the I have gone with the scintillating UK mortgage crunch. Four more interest rate rises in 2023 forecast. Yeah, so, run with mortgages as ever. Absolutely, and, and an amazing, just boring graph that just keeps going up on the front. Um, a very sad story on the front of the mirror. Uh, Fiona Phillips, it's time to tell people I have Alzheimer's. 
and the most bizarre headline of today, I think, on the uh, front page of The Sun, Boris hid horse in bedroom, brackets, no, not Johnson party game, it's how Becker tricked taxman. That is just completely bananas. I feel like we should unpick it slightly. So obviously they've done, they've gone for the pun. Mm -hmm. Boris hid horse in bedroom. Woo! <laughs> sounds a bit like you know uh, Boris Johnson's being naughty. Yeah. Um, but it's not that at all. It's Boris Becker's tax um, uh, yeah. avoidance. <laughs> Apparently his um, his uh, his estranged wife Lily Becker says that he hid prize horses in his bedroom to hide them from <laughs> debt collectors. He claims. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he he declared himself bankrupt in uh, in 2017, and um, uh, at the, around the same time they were looking for things to um, to sell, and he hid his horse in a bedroom apparently. So it's the equivalent of people kind of banging on your door, opening up and trying to take your telly, but in his case, it was they were trying to take his horses. Yeah, there's nobody here. <laughs> no, I, I, I love it. Um, I just I, love the implication that we all think that Boris Johnson is the kind of man who would hide a horse in his bedroom. <laughs> so we're going to see that headline and go, "Oh, Boris, what's he like? What's he done now?" Different kind of horse. That's uh, what I was thinking. Uh, yeah. That does make more sense. Yes, thank you. Okay. Yeah, true. Okay, there's also a small story in the eye that I wanted to have a look at. It's at the top. The eye does this kind of multi-story front page. So we do have the, the mortgages being boring in the middle, but then there's like one, two, three, four other ones um, are that, that kind of surround it and four at the bottom as well. And um, one of them is this awful story. Minister ordered Home Office staff to paint over art for children at Asylum Centre. I mean, it is covered in other in other papers, but this is just appalling. It's Robert Jenrick, and he's ordered that basically in an asylum centre in Kent, they'd decorated the walls with like cartoons and animals to kind of welcome children that were coming over. And he said it should all be painted over. It's just like it's cartoon villainy, isn't it? Like he he, he is the sort of person who, to, to misquote a viral tweet from years ago, would be the villain in a movie about a cartoon dog. It's just he, it's just it's just performative meanness. Yeah, it's just horrible. It's really grim. It, it brings everything down, doesn't it? I mean, you know, these are children. Yeah. Cartoons. Come on. Yeah, but they're foreign children. Yes, we must. So do they even to... count as people? Well, apparently not. In the FT, just inside, we have a headline that is Coots bumps Farage down to account with Nat West. So Nigel Farage has been in the papers quite a bit over the past few days, basically moaning about not having a bank account because his bank account was shut down. He can't open a new one. And he has put it down to discrimination from the banks or, as he put it, the establishment trying to force me out of the UK. I mean, I kind of feel like they might have thought he just wanted a holiday because he's probably got loads of unused euros from when he was paid by the European Parliament. But anyway, OK, so the FT, John, has come out today with a bit more to this story, hasn't it? It has. So, like, I mean, firstly, the headline on the FT story, which you've already read, but it's worth mm. focusing on again. Coots bumps Farage down to account with Nat West. That's quite a sneery headline if you're the FT. That's like, oh, he's not worthy of a... He's not worthy of a bank account of Coots, is, he? <laughs> is it just it's Nat a, West like us plebs? It's a very <laughs> FT-specific insult. Um, the key thing is they've got a source saying that the reason is that he has paid off his mortgage. Yes. And you have to be doing a certain amount of business with Coots to make it worth the while to keep you on. And by paying off that debt, he has fallen below the threshold. And the threshold is madly high, it isn't is it? It is enormous. It's like, I think it's three million in savings and a million in other business. So a minute, basically, he obviously, it seems to me, had a million pounds mortgage that somehow he was able to pay off and now he doesn't qualify as a Coots customer anymore. Well, this is the interesting thing about the story because he is trying to spin it as, oh, it's because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a PP, 
which is a politically exposed person. Now, that is a category that banks use for people who they have to watch a bit more closely because they might be um, corruption risks. Um, And Farage, uh, in this story, which is on the face of it about him not having quite enough money to make it worth Coot's while. He is trying to say that he's a politically exposed person. He is spinning it from one thing that makes him look bad to a different thing that makes him look differently bad. But by talking about it, by suggesting that it's a freedom of speech issue, he has successfully hacked the media and got a bunch of right-wing talking heads going, oh, this is this is very concerning. It's amazing. I don't know how he does it. He is absolutely... I mean, he, The man has a talent. Yeah, <laughs> he has a certain kind of talent with me exposure, hasn't he? Oh, definitely. I bet he's also the most successful, unsuccessful politician of all time, I always think, about <laughs> Nigel Farage, because he's never been actually elected for anything apart from the European Parliament, and yet he has almost single-handedly caused Brexit in many ways, and mm-hmm. been he's been at the front of, of the, the Brexit debate for, for it feels like decades now. Um, and the thing about Farage, I think, that is really important is he's always available. Yeah. I think that's the key about Farage. He will always give a comment. He's always got a news line. He's always got something to say. And so that's why the papers love him, because he's always going to say something. Yeah, when I worked at Smash Hits, we used to say that people were in reception. We used to use it about Danny Minogue, actually. And they would like <laughs> they would just appear in the, in, the, in, in the magazine whenever you wanted. And Farage is definitely that. But it's more than that, isn't it? He somehow manages to spin whatever he says as... Um, uh, so that he comes out as a victim, mm. you know. Yeah, he's so great. he's not the elite. Somehow. Yeah, he, he's a victim of the elite because he can't have a. Um, <laughs> he can no longer have a bank account with Coots because he's paid off his million pound mortgage. That's a really incredible sort of Mobius strip. How do you make that? Um, I mean, inherent in this is that he did have a bank account at Coots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you have to be a member of the elite to do that. But he has successfully spun it like this way. It is. It is. It is impressive and also horrifying all at once. It is, and also like the, the idea that you're um, um, that you're one of these politically exposed people. But all politicians are. So all politicians have to have a kind of sp- a, a check. And and with Farage, there has been a kind of question of how how he is funded. So I mean, you know, th- this is completely legitimate by the bank. If if they were looking at this, mm. you know, and, and obviously in the end they weren't. They were just saying, "I'm sorry, mate, you've paid your mortgage off." Mm. But it's, it is just this. I, it, it drives me nuts the obsession with freedom of speech, not because it's not an important issue, but because it is so easily used to kind of warp debates. And it's it's only certain kinds of speech that get government ministers really, really angry that if they're under threat. Like if anybody is sort of going around um, criticising somebody as suggesting that the British Empire may be in some way problematic, <laughs> then suddenly a minister will appear over the horizon to talk about the importance of, of free debate. But but if you've got you know police cracking down on protests, then nowhere to be seen. Well, this week we've had Rishi Sunak commenting on the cricket and on this, saying that he thinks that banks shouldn't um, be involved in people's opinions. And you think, Rishi, you've got other stuff to deal with. Come yes, on. Please, show up. I mean, this, this story is a story that the Telegraph in particular has loved because it ticks all its kind of, you know, mad woke boxes. And it's found lots of other people that have had their bank accounts shut. They found Alexandra Tolstoy, who's described as an aristocrat. This is what, this is my aim in life. <laughs> Just an aristocrat. Um, they've shut down her account. She was married to a Russian oligarch with links to Putin but they split in 2016 so she says like you know I need a bank account fair enough and also a vicar had his account stopped at Yorkshire Building Society after he wrote an email criticising its public stance on LBGTQ plus rights but the spokesperson for the Building Society said it never shuts accounts based on customers' belief only if a customer was rude, abusive, violent or discriminates in any way. I think this discriminates in any way is part of the problem. 
because the the some other people who are kind of on an anti-woke crusade say that if you essentially express any form of view that's not considered to be woke you won't have a bank account yeah and i think i think it's because in the last few years the banks have got much more tight uh, about who they give bank accounts to and there's this know your customer thing which is a really serious issue for banks now that they can literally be put in prison if they uh, like you know person uh, people at the bank can be put in prison personally if they have done something wrong in this situation if they've given bank accounts to the wrong people as it were and so all this sort of money laundering stuff the hsbc story from a few years back um and, and so i think banks are just incredibly tense on all this stuff and you can see how it might go the wrong way they might take it a bit too far and someone thinks it's just not worth it Yes, exactly. Why would it be worth it to give anybody a bank account if you think that you're going to end up in in prison over Mm. it? And now, of course, because (laughs) following where Farage leads, Jeremy Hunt has launched an investigation. Hooray! The Treasury urgently needs to change the regulation to prohibit this new and sinister form of what? Cancel culture. So if I have no money, that's cancel culture for you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, headlines, we love them. The sub-editor's chance to pun, to have fun, to shine bright light and diamond. On every edition of Paper Cuts, we choose the very best ones out there. What have we got? John, what have you got? So I'm looking at the sun today. Uh, they have, uh, they've been out looking at petrol prices. They managed to find two Tesco garages 40 miles apart, one in Hampshire, one in Dorset, uh, where the price of petrol is uh, 15p different, which is about a 10% difference in, in, in price per litre. Uh, and the headline they've gone with is Must Think We're Fuels. Very good. I quite like that one. Uh, next to that, this is a page 21 of today's sun. It's very, very good for headlines. Next to that, they've got a story about a 16-year-old Doncaster goth called Abby Ricketts who uh, attended her school prom dressed as a vampire and uh, appearing in a coffin unloaded by her father and brother. <laughs> Love that. Um, and, and the headline they've got there is Dearly Departed. That's excellent. Excellent story. Excellent headline. Can round I, applause all round that's great can I just say that Ricketts is a great surname for a goth <laughs> <laughs> never knowingly seen the sun or eaten a vegetable yeah they just added scurvy it's quite <laughs> ironic it's in the sun really that story, <laughs> very, true. Yeah. very true she needs more of it okay what have you got Matt <laughs> uh, so um, this is a story about Oasis uh, back in the day Liam Gallagher once kept a shoe that was thrown at him in a, at a gig <laughs> in order to annihilate the man who threw it and the headline is of course Shoe Personic. Very good. <laughs> what an odd story. That's in the star. Uh, and back to the sun, this one. Uh, food inflation, good news, is going down, especially for things like pasta, dairy and rice, apparently. And the headline is, more penne for the pound. Oh, nice. Penne. Very good. OK, friends, cast your mind back three years to COVID. Everything was a little mad there for a time and several people suddenly became unbelievably significant. Joe Wicks, Chris Whitty, Matt Hancock and... 
Captain Tom Moore, the elderly war veteran who raised nearly £39 million for the NHS by walking up and down his Bedfordshire garden. He died in February 2021 and since then there have been several lip-smacking <laughs> news stories about his daughter Hannah Ingram Moore and her husband Colin Ingram Moore, such as Hannah wanting to pay herself £150 grand a year as CEO of the Captain Tom Foundation or £54 grand being paid to two of her husband's firms. So, Matt, there's a new story about the lovely Hannah Ingram Moore, isn't there? What is it? Well, um, they applied for planning permission to build an office in their uh, garden. Uh, they said they needed space urgently for presentations and memorabilia, and they secured consent for that last year. But then they've just made a retrospective plan- planning application for a spa and pool house with changing rooms. <laughs> And that has been rejected. So they have, uh, they're now in sort of a legal dispute with the council as to whether they're going to have to rip it down or not. I mean, I miss Spa and Paul. You do think maybe she thought Captain Tom was going to do a triathlon, (laughs) come back. (laughs) And they said, put him on a bike. (laughs) My my favourite thing about this is they've named it the Captain Tom Building. (laughs) It's just like, it's just so unbelievably transparent. I love it. It's just like, oh, he was, he he just loved his spa. (laughs) He spent his entire 90s in a spa. Really, yeah, he'd have loved it. Really, I mean, it's a mad kind of situation where essentially this is a charity, and um, she, the trustees, are really deliberately kind of distancing themselves from her. They're they're suspended operations on the charity because it's all so dodgy. Yeah, and they've said that they're not taking any money and that they're not making any more payments. And they, the key thing is that they. put their names, their personal names on part of the planning application, but then they put the charity's name on another part of the planning application and the trustees said that they knew nothing about that and it was nothing to do with them. So that seems to be where the sort of dodginess is on that. But, you know, I I feel sorry for them because we've all done it. We've mistakenly built a spa. Yeah, we've all just accidentally (laughs) built a pool house over by mistake. Yeah, I mean it's massive as well, isn't it? I mean, yeah. fifty foot by twenty foot. It's not like a little one. That's that is big. Yeah, they were granted permission for an L-shaped building and then changed the design into a C-shaped pool house with changing room, toilet, and showers. And I just think, um, why not go go further? Because they've got all these trademarks. That's the thing. That's the other thing. They've got all these trademarks for um, apparently using his name for beer, spirits, wine calendars, uh, wines, calendars, greeting cards, lunch boxes. Um, <laughs> now they're Captain claiming Tom lunchbox. <laughs> It's, it's, it's magnificent. A, it's hungry it? work walking up and down a, a garden. That's the thing. You need your sandwiches. And I think they claim that they, they have those trademarks so that they other people can't exploit them. I think that's their excuse for that. But I feel like they're going to be making lawnmowers in the shape of Captain Tom by the end of it. <laughs> You know, Catch it with his face on yeah, the bit where you exactly. catch all the, all the cuttings. Garden I... gnomes, scarecrows, personal <laughs> trainers. I mean, the, the, the list is endless. Can I just ask, does anybody remember ever hearing Captain Tom speak publicly? Like, did we ever actually hear his voice? Well, I don't know. That's really odd, isn't it? Because he got... I mean, you know, there was a fly pass for him and everything, wasn't mm. there? But I don't know that I... But it, it just feels like this kind of mute mascot. I don't recall him being interviewed or anything. We've only had the family's version of events and there's just something a little bit creepy about that. Yeah, maybe he was just clockwork. And, and also... And I think the thing about because I, I, I was reading back onto it and reminding myself about it this morning, and he um, he was only a captain until 1946. It wasn't like he was like a long-term arm. You know, he was in the army for for years and years and years. It was a fairly short-term thing, and so and it was just an idea they threw into the press release initially of like, oh, maybe maybe we should call him Captain Tom, and then that obviously that blew up. I'm going to call myself captain. I was once the captain of a, a woman's football team. I was very bad, but I'm going to be like <laughs> Captain Miranda from now on. <laughs> 
It's like putting award winning in front of everybody that you ever met. <laughs> We've all won something, surely. You know? Yeah, 25 meters swimming. Yeah, yeah. all that. And in more COVID-related news, screaming from the front of the mail and covered in most other newspapers is the fact that the Met is to reopen Partygate investigations into two more Tory gatherings. One is the Jingle and Mingle. I mean, can I just say that again? Jingle and Mingle. December 2020 party that featured um, the video of the ever-twirling couple that was broken by the mirror. But the other is the birthday bash held by the wife of Tory MP, Sir Bernard Jenkins, which was also in December 2020. John, what is going on? Uh, I mean, the first thing that's going on is you've the first time I've, I've seen you successfully resisted the urge to call him St Bernard. I'll so. call him St Bernard. I'm very la, impressed la, at your la, personal la. growth there. <laughs> also, I've just been in... The, I've never actually seen a picture of him until today's papers. Mm-hmm. And I've just been envisioning someone who looks very different from the actual Bernard Jenkins, who's this kind of like, you know, it's like Dilf figure. Can I say that? Am I allowed yeah. to say Anyway, let's move on. Um, <laughs> I was imagining someone much sort of bigger and fluffier. Um, <laughs> but, but, but basically what's going on is that the Met has kind of moved from um, assessing whether there was anything to investigate to launching a formal probe, which doesn't mean anyone's going to face charges or anything. It just means they're actually like, there's a formal investigation rather than, you know, hello, 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 what's going yeah. on here uh, then? The Mail has uh, seen this as a massive victory because the they've been waging a campaign it. on Sir Bernard. Why have they been waging a campaign? So I don't know if any of you guys have ever read The Origins of Totalitarianism by Hannah Arendt, uh, but there's a whole bit in that about how the value, the political value of propaganda is not to convince people of lies, it's to undermine faith in truth. And I kind of think that's what the Mail is is doing here. It's it's not so much that I, I don't think they actually have a desperate desire to take uh, St. Bernard down. What they're actually trying to do is to throw doubt on the report of the Privileges Committee of which he was a member into uh, Boris Johnson and the Partygate scandal. If if they kind of make it so like, you know, they were all at it, then then Boris Johnson comes out of it less damaged. And one of the reasons I think this is this, this might actually be proven quite an effective uh, technique is because to a certain extent they were all at it, I think. There we have it. We have ample evidence that there were probably a lot of there were a lot of gatherings going on in Westminster. There may not have been as many or as regular or as um, uh, last days of Rome as some of what was going on in Downing Street, but I don't think it is that unlikely that there were other sort of drinks parties. Yes, I mean, and and if I mean the thing that I find quite odd about it is that that if this is you know Saint Bernard is also a Tory. Though and so the male is kind of turned and a Brexiteer on their, and a Brexiteer they're, they're turning on their own simply because they don't like the idea that Boris Johnson has been found guilty of lying to Parliament. Yeah, absolutely, and and he was he's described in the the mail as um, Boris Johnson's Partygate Inquisitor, <laughs> which I just love that. Like that's an amazing description. The Inquisitor, as though he was like stretching him on the rack and branding him and all that kind of stuff, as not just asking some fairly pointed questions about a party that he definitely went to. Yes, exactly. I mean, they have been waging a war against poor old St. Bernard for several days, calling him a hypocrite, pointing out that, I love this, enthusiast. he's an enthusiastic nudist. Yeah. <laughs> well, and... it's better than an unenthusiastic nudist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really just, good. I, I don't like it, but I just I have to be <laughs> naked, sorry. <laughs> and that and the Richard Curtis put a bumbling Bernard in all his films because they used to date the same women. Um, so um, if St. Bernard is found to have attended this party which was given by his wife and is issued a fine will it matter 
I, I don't think it can have the rejuvenating effect on Boris Johnson's career that, that certain people are clearly hoping. Um, I do think it can probably, it will probably matter in that it will reduce yet further our faith in politicians in general and the Conservative Party in particular. I, I think there will be certain people out there that it will kind of give them the kind of prop they need to be like, oh, they're all at it. You can't, you can't, you can't trust this report because we know that what they're all like. Um, on on the blue on blue thing though, I, I wonder if it's an artifact of the fact that you know for the last few years the way you've got power in this country is by basically winning internal arguments within the Conservative Party, and I think the Mail is still in that mode, and they haven't realised that in a couple of years' time it looks like it's not really going to matter which faction dominates the Conservative Party because they're not going to be in government anymore. Yeah, but I think that the thing that's probably really important to remember is that. The inquiry that he was part of, the Privileges Committee report, was not about whether or not Boris Johnson went to parties. It was about whether he lied about it knowingly to Parliament, which they concluded he did. And and so, in a sense, that's not the issue. Now, obviously, it muddies the waters. Um, and I agree with John that it's it's clearly just about making everyone, oh, they're all at it. Um, but from a from the perspective of someone who's not massively keen on the Conservative Party. I think they should just keep this going forever. I love it. <laughs> get as many party... Get, we should set up a, like a full-scale standing party gate inquiry. Um, set up a new police force because we need it. The amount of police inquiries into stuff that happened. Yeah, let's let's investigate every MP and and just keep... Because I think the more that you have this in the headlines, that's the other thing that I think the Mail doesn't quite realise is the more that they keep party gate in the headlines, the more it reminds people of the fact that Boris Johnson clearly broke the rules and knew about it. And he was the one. And again, the crucial thing is he wrote the rules. Je- yeah, Bernard Jenkins was involved, was in Parliament, but he wasn't the person actually writing the rules and telling the public about them at weekly press conferences. So, it's, uh, yeah, for me, it's, uh, it can only help the Labour Party. Yeah, Partygate is the gift that doesn't stop giving. Mm. Once you get past the gloomy news and scary wars, you hit the paper's party room, full of fizzy pop and people discussing which shoes to wear, what holidays to go on, and whether gin-soaked men in blazers should be allowed anywhere near actual professional athletes. John, what do we have? So so um, my, my personal favourite today is the splash in the star which we read at the top of the show which is on how uh, a low a low may have contributed to to brexit uh, i was personally drawn to this one because uh, a couple of years ago my first book came out and it only got one review in the national newspaper which was the mail and it was one of those books of like weird lists and facts you buy your dad for christmas uh, one of the facts in there was that a low a low actually lasted for longer than the nazi occupation of france <laughs> <laughs> Um, so obviously my the big big day of my career where I get a review of my book in the national newspaper and there's a picture of like Rene and Yvette sat in his lap or whoever the characters were. Um, so I was very drawn to this story. Um, what seems to have happened here is that it's a, it's a historian called Professor Gavin Schaefer who's uh, at the University of Birmingham and has contributed a chapter to a book by Bloomsbury uh, called British Humour and the Second World War Keep Smiling Through. His argument is that you can kind of see the seeds of Brexit in the sitcoms that were on television in the 60s, 70s and 80s. So you've got, um, you know, we've got the Germans in 40 Towers. You've got uh, Dad's Army is this sort of whole cultural phenomenon. And you've got Hello, Hello. Uh, and not unlike Nigel Farage, the people publicising this book have clearly worked out a way of hacking the media 
Wikipedia, which is if you stick a lower low in something, then someone will just run the story. It's all over the papers. They will run the story because it gives them a chance to to run a picture of a, a, a an English woman dressed as a saucy French maid, basically. Exactly. There is a point about it. Are you, oh, you've got it. You've got it over there. Yeah, I just found uh, just found the actual page in the start. Yeah, and, let's course, look. and the other thing about it is that yeah, they, it allows them to do two breast based. Uh, headlines. <laughs> so it's hello, hello, Brexit, just a big booby. Excellent. Yeah. And then sitcom made us knockers of Europlan. Hey, so. yeah, very, very good. Two boob jokes in one page. <laughs> this is this is amazing. I mean, on one on one level, I think he's got a point though. We're I obsessed do, yeah. with the war still, even now. Absolutely, I think it's absolutely true. I think that um, that I'm not saying it's a causal link, but I think there's definitely a sort of cultural link there that the fact that the war has been so present in our culture right up until the present day means that you know we don't quite trust the germans we don't quite trust the french and whereas if in europe it's it's just not seen like that at all and also it's not seen crucially it's not seen as a fun thing yeah we see we see it as a jolly jape to some extent yeah. it's like boys own adventures we're not thinking about the horrors of of you know complete devastation and occupation particularly yeah. dad's army i think is a great example because um the home guard was a real serious thing and if it actually had been used it would have been a you know, um, sort of guerrilla warfare. And if you look at some of the training techniques and stuff, it was pretty nasty stuff. But then obviously later, it, people look back on it with this idea of, like, oh, it was just, you know, un, you know, middle-aged men messing around. But in reality, it would have been quite um, brutal. But because it never happened, we never think of it like that. That's exactly it. It never happened so we can tell jokes. Yeah. Uh, marriage advice from the papers, everyone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so in the mail a couple of days ago, writer Liz Jones, who is known for writing in excruciating detail about her pretty dreadful love life, decided to organise a meet-up with her ex-husband, Nirpal Daliwal, because that's what Carrie from Sex and the City did with her ex. I mean, please. But anyway, it went awfully. I mean, really terribly. And everyone rushed to read it. <laughs> um, clickbait extraordinaire. Uh, Matt, what happened? Well, I mean, it, rem- it was... Like one of the, you know, there's Guardian Soulmates things where they do, they have like two people who meet each other sort of as a, uh, who've never met before and then they have a date. It was like the the worst possible oh. version of that. It was like, oh no, we used to be married. Um, yeah, he basically ignored her. He drank all the drink. Then he ranted at her in the restaurant. But the amazing thing about the article, it is worth looking at, even though I, you know, don't, re- don't usually suggest people go back and read old Daily Mail articles, is that it's got her account of it, which is very long. And then it's got quite a short account of it from him mm. where he somehow manages to make her look like the victim in the situation because she's so annoying. And you think, well, yeah, I, I get that this would have been a difficult relationship. But then he is so horrible. And it's really so awful, nasty really nasty, misogynistic. Very misogynistic. Oh. And trying to be, I think, trying to be funny, but does some says some things about, you know, he... I never give her an orgasm, but she never gave me an orgasm. And I had to sort of think about her friends when we were having sex. It's just, he said yeah. he had to labour grievously for his <laughs> orgasm while imagining her younger friends or someone he was cheating with. I mean, it, you know, terrible. I mean, she, she what she says is that she felt like a temporal mattress. I'm not sure a temporal mattress anyway. She felt like a mattress, right? So those that, are the memory foam ones that you uh, sink into. Okay. And the young women from the next table asked her if she was okay after he left because he'd ranted at her so much. But he... I mean, when he wrote his bit, he basically says he was thoroughly glad to have got rid of her. He was mortified at being photographed with her and she should have kept, I just really hate this, stupid, her stupid yapping mouth shut. I mean, I really, really, that kind of strikes 
me. I think it's awful what he said. I just want to know how he thinks he's coming across. Yeah. There. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we live in the age where, like, you know, if you meet someone new, you're going to Google them. That's <laughs> yeah. the thing that's going to happen. And this this guy is never, is never getting a date again, is he? No. I mean, I wondered if he was just doing it because he really wanted her off his back. So that was the only thing I could think of. He just never wants to be associated with her anymore. So if he's really, really appalling, mm. then that, that will happen. But that's he will now always be associated with that article. That's the thing, yeah. isn't it? It doesn't really work. I mean, from that, I mean, slightly weirdly, that both the Telegraph and the Times today have a series of kind of funny advice bits on how to have a good marriage, which is basically, yeah, look at Liz Jones, Liz Jones's account and don't do that. But it's how to have a good marriage from various writers, including um, Esther Walker and, and others. Now, this has come out of, um, of a Sun uh, cover yesterday. And on this, on this cover, it was a series of rules that actor Amy Nuttall, she was in Downton fans, um, she issued these rules when she took back her actor husband, Andrew Buchan, the love rat, after he'd had an affair with his co-star um, in a BBC drama series. Right, And just as a side point, all the characters in this really resemble Matt Hancock, his wife and his lover, but 15 years younger. And once you've seen that, you can't unsee it. And what's weird is that Andrew Buchan, he actually played Matt Hancock in the recent... This is England's drama. I mean, this so. is just mad. I mean, anyway, whatever. The rules that Amy Nuttall issued, which were on the front page of The Sun yesterday, were no contact with uh, the woman he had an affair for any reason. If you're working away, you must FaceTime. You must have full access to each other's phone at any time, which is appalling. You've got to have work on equal footing. And this is the word that I, one I don't get, the 777 rules. Shall we talk about the 777 rules, Matt? What are they? The 777 rules are every seven days we go on a date, every seven weeks we go away for the night, and every seven months we go on holiday together on our own. That's the idea. Yep. Um, and um, and this has been used uh, in the mail. Marion McGill, uh, McGilvery um, has written a piece about how her relationship broke down, how her marriage um, was broke down because of infidelity uh, on her husband's side and talks about that. And then they've got um, one of those sort of inset boxes about, well, here's the 7-7 rule. Uh, and then there's other rules. You can, there's, the, there's the 222 rule, which is basically the 777 rule for less rich people. Oh, yeah. What's so that? So every two weeks we do something. Every two days we do something. Every two years. So that's more rich people, surely. No, it's. I think it's, it's like... Because oh, it's it seven days often. and it's two weeks. Yeah, it's sort of it, oh, it, it's right, expanding okay. it. I think. Uh, um, okay. There's the fight. I can check that, but I think it, I think it's basically, sorry. I just thought we should clarify. No, yeah, mm. definitely. Apologies. I think apologies. Um, that's all right. Um, and then there's other ones like the five three one rule. Oh my god! Where one person offers five choices, and then the, they and then the other person <laughs> um, sort of rejects three of them, and then they agree on one of them. Which this just is feels, like sounds like football, but it's no? like game five, theory. Three, it's like a negotiating tactic. It's very bizarre. <laughs> Um, there's a three by three rule, um, which is that you have to find three hours every week to spend on your own with the partner. And then there's a rule of five, which is you have to give each person five minutes to speak whenever there's a disagreement and then five minutes for the other person to speak and then five minutes to agree on the issue. And I think they should just stick to the two for one rule, which is buy a couple of bottles of wine on offer <laughs> <laughs> and just forget about it. The, 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 I mean, those rules are just appalling, aren't they? I mean, it's terrible. I have to say, you know, it's it's it, it, you know, the, the papers have gone with this because it's fun. It's fun for the papers. There's loads of silly bits from from funny writers like um, Hannah Betts, who basically said, "If you're married to me, do not talk to me until it's midday," which I quite like as a rule. Um, and it's just an easy commission, is what it strikes me. So if you're an uh, an editor and you think I've got to fill in the features pages, you just call up five funny writers and say, "Give me 250, 300 words on." 
you know how mm. to have a good marriage also it's this stuff is is you know it's it's clickbait like if you you, you are occasionally going to hit upon something like that that awful Liz Jones piece where like people will kind of just want to gawk yeah so so it's gonna it's, it's there's a commercial imperative as well as like easy copy there I think yeah it's also I mean speaking as a, a woman writer it's something that you're always asked to do you're always asked to um, mine your personal life you know that's just the deal and you kind of decide where to draw the line because mm. they will push you if you what they really want is Liz Jones all the time mm. and you have to decide how far you will go to, in order to be paid <laughs> and what his what her ex-husband wants is Liz Jones none of the time Thanks for listening and don't forget to follow Paper Cuts on your favourite podcast app. If you really like us, then go to Spotify or Apple and give us five stars and a more fun than a happy dog on a skateboard review. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Paper Cuts Show. Links are in the show notes. I've been Miranda Sawyer and you've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when Annika Rice revealed she's been hiring out her Challenge Annika jumpsuit for use on hen nights. Or for other purposes, eh lads? See you next time.